Now, one of our hub pastors this morning was speaking about the irresistible presence of Jesus. So it's our prayer as we share uh, this morning that you experience his irresistible presence. And uh, one of the ways I've been doing that in the last few weeks is in rereading a book. And um, there aren't that many books that I reread, but this is one that for the, probably the second time uh, this year I've, I've read again. And this is called Letters by a Modern Mystic by a man called Frank C. Laubach. Now, it is a beautiful book. It's for one, and one of the reasons I'm rereading it is it's only about 40 pages. Uh, but it's a series of letters that this man, Frank Laubach, writes. And they're published actually in a Boston a newspaper. He writes them originally to his father. And it's a story of a man, Frank, who was a missionary to the Philippines. And in the process of becoming and being a missionary, he becomes what I'm going to term this morning, and in fact what the book calls him, a mystic. That's a, maybe a strange or scary phrase to some of you, but what is a mystic? A mystic is somebody who understands that the goal of life is to experience and live in the presence of Jesus in every single moment. So that actually, if, if that's what the definition of a mystic is, I want to argue that that's the goal of all human life. Every one of us, every follower of Christ, every person is being called to be a mystic. And this is what he says. I have a couple of these quotes on the screen. This one, unfortunately... I neglected to write up this morning. This is what he says on just the second letter in his book. He says, two years ago, a profound dissatisfaction led me to begin trying to line up my actions with the will of God about every 15 minutes or every half hour. Other people to whom I confessed this intention said it was impossible. I judge from what I've heard that few people are really trying even that. But this year, I've started out trying to live all my waking moments in conscious listening to the inner voice, asking without ceasing, what father do you desire said? What father do you desire done this minute? It is clear that this is exactly what Jesus was doing all day, every day. But it is not what his followers have been doing in very large numbers. Powerful vision of life, of success in life, being all about experiencing and living in communion and connection with the presence of God in every single moment. He goes on later in the book to say, It seems so wonderfully true that just the privilege of fellowship with God is infinitely more than anything that God could give. When He gives Himself, He's giving more than anything else in the universe. And what I want to say, what we want to say uh, this morning is that that is, that vision of life, Frank Laubach's vision of life, is the church on fire. That is what it looks like to be the church on fire, to be people who are living in communion with Jesus, enriched by his presence in every minute. And as I've read this book again, it's been a profound challenge to me and an inspiration. And what we want to bring this morning really simply is that challenge and that inspiration. And if we don't receive it from Frank, we certainly receive it, I think, this morning from what we read in the New Testament. In Mark chapter 9, we see this powerful story of a man bringing his son to Jesus for healing. In fact, he brings him to his disciples and they can't heal him. Now, a bit of context uh, for those who haven't read this story before. What's happening immediately before this story is that Jesus is up the mountain with a select few of his disciples, and he is transfigured in their presence, which is to say his glory, his magnificence, his greatness, his goodness is revealed to this select few group of disciples. And uh, 
and they sort of come down the mountain after this has happened and they're sort of in a bit of a, a pre-match discussion, a post-match discussion about what's happened, asking him questions about what it means and everything like that. And they arrive at the foot of the mountain and there is what I would say going on. It is a technical term here, a kerfuffle. A kerfuffle. Just say that at home. Just say the word kerfuffle. Say it in the room. I, I defy you to say that word and not feel just a little bit more joyful. Uh, this morning, uh, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus sees and the disciples see a kerfuffle going on. And, and the kerfuffle, uh, <laughs> it's really hard to say it and not smile, is because the disciples can't heal the boy. And they're wondering why. And the man is wondering why. And they've tried out their new skills, their new healing skills, the new sort of tool belt, and they can't heal this boy. And then, of course, Jesus comes over and has this incredible interaction with the boy's father, talking about faith. And uh, we're not told whether in this moment Jesus is critiquing the man's faith or the disciples' faith or the wider crowd's faith. But the man's response is beautiful. I think it's one of the most profound and beautiful responses in Scripture. He simply says this, I believe. Please help my unbelief. And that's a prayer I've prayed uh, most days in my life. And then Jesus goes and heals the boy and we presume the father and the boy leave happy, um, not asking for their money back. But the story doesn't end there. Jesus and his team do a further amount of uh, post-match analysis and the disciples ask Jesus an obvious question. Why couldn't we do it? Why could only you do it? Why was it only that you were pos- it was possible for you to heal the boy and not for us? We'd healed other people before. We've had some success in our ministry doing that. Why couldn't we do this? And presumably they feel somewhat humiliated. The whole crowd was gathered and they weren't able to do the thing that they were asked to do. Maybe they'd experienced enjoyment of their time in the limelight before and this was their moment to shine and they failed. And Jesus' response is powerful. He says this kind can only come out through prayer. Reading between the lines, I think what Jesus is saying is you've got to go further. Now presumably these disciples had been praying. they had a corporate life together as disciples of Jesus of prayer. They prayed together. They, they knew what it was like to pray. It wasn't that he was saying, you need to begin praying, guys. I mean, they were good Jewish boys. They understood prayer. But Jesus is saying, you've got to go further than you've ever been in prayer. If you're going to see a greater manifestation of my kingdom in your life, you've got to go further in prayer. You can't stop where you are. It's as if he's saying to them, look, what's got you here isn't going to get you there. And the way that you make progress in the kingdom, gentlemen, is in prayer. And it is only through prayer. He's saying, them, he's saying to them, he's pushing them further. He's saying that the source of his own power, by implication, the source of his own power, the source of my power, Jesus says, is my intimacy with my Father. And that's been developed through this kind of relationship that Frank Laubach speaks about, this daily, this moment-by-moment dependence upon the will and the voice of the Father. And Jesus in this moment is inviting them not just to say prayers, but to get into this kind of communion. He is informing his disciples that unless they find that place for themselves, they will not be able to make further progress. Their capacity in the kingdom, their ability to handle his power will be limited. 
In other words, they cannot simply trade on Jesus' prayer life any longer. They need to find their own. And there comes this moment in every disciple's life where we, we just come to a point where we're saying, well, I, can't, I can't trade on my parents' prayer life anymore. I can't trade on my pastor's prayer life anymore, my friend's prayer life, my spouse's prayer life, my children's prayer life. I've got to go, I've got to go somewhere myself. And for them, this must have been a humbling experience. They needed to admit that they were powerless. That they not, weren't yet where they hoped they would be. Yeah, and so I think what we see here ultimately is uh, prayer is an act of humility. Um, and, uh, and I think prayer is um, ultimately dependence, complete dependence upon God. Um, and I believe that this is an invitation, you know, in this really difficult time right now. It's an invitation to us, to this church and to the church across our world um, to come in humility before God and say, God, we don't have the answers. We don't have the knowledge. We don't have the wisdom, but you do. And so really, as as we are calling our church to pray, you know, particularly this month in lockdown, uh, we are saying over to you, God, we are dependent upon you. And, you know, we... um, We've been speaking a lot, as you know, about um, surrender and um, dependence and repentance. Um, And a long time ago, um, I spoke about this word that God was um, raising up this weak army. um, And this weak army being an army that is utterly devoted, utterly dependent upon God. And, you know, this situation is horrible and it's hard, but what an amazing invitation to get before God in humility, in dependence, and say, over to you, God, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot um, figure this out. I don't have the plans. I don't have um, the ways to get out of this, but I can depend upon you. What an amazing Mm. invitation that he is calling us into. Um, he's gone too far, thanks, darling. And, um, and so, really, you know, in simple terms, in real simple terms, a dependent life is a life that is a prayerful life. A dependent life is a prayer-filled life. Um, it's really interesting. I was, um, I had a week um, this week, I'm studying uh, theological college um, at St. Melita, some of you will know, and I had lots of lectures this week, and I had one in particular, and th- one of my lectures was just talking, and he sort of, um, it was just, it was a bit of a throwaway line, really, um, and what he said was, he said, I really believe that God is going to move in power in the next decade. He's going to move in power in the next decade, but to a humbled people. Um, and it just really pricks my eyes up because it just, it really um, resonates with the things that I really believe that he's calling our church to, to humble ourselves as we receive more of God. And so I'm just literally going to spend um, just a few moments, just even um, just sharing a few of the things I've been learning around um, prayer. Uh, the first one is uh, let's turn our worries um, into prayer. Um, I was uh, lying in bed in the middle of the night, actually sleeping, trying to sleep, and um, 
And I woke up um, in the night with so many thoughts, so many um, worries and concerns and things that I needed to get done. I'm sure many, many, many can resonate with that um, at the moment, particularly. And I woke up and I was, you know, sort of processing these thoughts. And I felt really clearly God guide me to the classic scripture that we all know. And I'm just going to read it because it is so powerful. Uh, Philippians 4.6. He led me to this saying, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And it was, again, just a real simple reminder that let's turn our worries into prayers. You know, we have a choice. We can sit and we can let the thoughts go crazy and, you know, whir and whir and whir. Or we can actually bring those thoughts before God and say, Lord, have this, have this over to you. I'm going to bring this concern to you. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to bring your presence. Jesus, come into this situation. We have a choice to bring and make our worries uh, prayers. And uh, it's interesting, I was talking to my mum, who is actually a bit of a prayer warrior. She might even be uh, joining us this morning. Hello, (laughs) mum, if you are. Um, But uh, as I was uh, talking to her um, a little while ago, actually, um, she had the same sense. She felt like God said to her, Larry, stop being a warrior. Be a warrior. Stop being a warrior. Be a warrior. Claim truth. Remind yourself of who God is. Bring these concerns and these things to God. Thank you, darling. Um, the, the second point is to just start. You know, I'm sure for many, I'm speaking to the choir here, I know that there are people um, within our church and who, who are watching here who must, who have incredible prayer lives, who are praying their socks off. Well done. Crack on. Um, but for some of us, this is really new. You know, for some of us, it's like there's a, you know, there's a, there's a call to pray or your vicar's saying pray or this person's saying pray. It's like, how do you, what does that even mean? What does that even look like? Where do I, where do I start? You know, and really I want to say, just start. You know, um, it really is simply, as I said, just bringing the concerns you have to God. You know, bring him into it um, and see what happens. You know, we've heard stories, haven't we, of people just beginning to invite God into everyday parts of our lives and things change. Mm -hmm. Good things come out of it. Peace is received. Hope is received. So if this is new to you, just try. Just bring your worries, bring your concerns, bring your dreams, your hopes, everything to God and see what he does. Yeah, for me, uh, just a recent challenge um, was um, I, I, I've, been pr- I've, I've been praying and asking God, you know, like asking him sort of to um, come into situations or I might even um, be sort of speaking to God about how, how do I begin to pray um, for certain things that are within our church. Um, and I really felt like God was saying to me, just start praying. Um, and really what that looks like is bringing a concern to him, start praying, and then you'll receive my heart. He was saying, as you start, you'll receive my heart. And I was praying for a situation 
in our church that was um, really, it's really challenging. It's a, it, it, around a child who's really poorly. Um, and I was, you know, like, Lord, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to get there. And I just began to picture this little person. I just began to think about this little person, started praying. And as I prayed, it was like the Lord gave me a heart, more of a heart and more clarity in how to pray. So if you are, you know, there's so many things to pray for. There are so many needs so much um, going on in the world, but just begin, and as you begin, I really believe that God will begin to give you clarity on how yeah. you um, continue to pray for that situation. So just start. You've got something on that, haven't you, darling? Well, just that I was having a conversation with a, a friend a while ago in that vein, actually about fasting, and this friend is a, a, an expert uh, faster. <laughs> Uh, they do a lot of fasting. I've done some, but really um, wanted to know how to, you know, take that further. And I was sort of quizzing him on various different aspects of it. And I think at some stage he just got a bit annoyed with the the sort of litany of questions. And he just said, "Mate, all the revelation is in the doing. The practice is the teacher. In other words, stop texting me. Start doing it." And um, and when it comes to prayer, I just think there's profound wisdom in what Amy's saying. Just start. We learn. We, we, we get further on the adventure of prayer by stepping out and by continuing to step out and sometimes in finding new ways to step out. Yeah, and, and then just thirdly, I think for some of us, um, our active dependence, our active humility before God is actually silence. You know, we are... Um, we are activists, many of us, um, and so actually silence is really, really tricky. Um, and I, again, this week, um, I had the privilege of uh, having a lecture by Rowan Williams, who used to the former archbishop, um, and someone asked him uh, a question, you know, what does your devotional life look like? Um, and he simply said, I, I spend chunks of time in silence. And he said, that, um, he said that when I come before God, in the ask for the presence of God to come and be with me, as I come in my emptiness, I trust that I'm coming before God in his fullness and that in that silence, I trust that he is filling me and he's equipping me with everything that I need. Even if I don't feel it, I come with that act of trust. I come with that act of humility to say, God, in your fullness, come and fill me. Give me what yeah. I need. Equip me yeah. in this moment. And we've spoken about uh, this posture of humility, how prayer in itself is a posture of humility. And I know no other more humble practice of prayer than silence. Because in silence, we're, not even, we don't, we're sort of admitting we don't even have any words. We're simply beginning at just base camp. And we're saying, Lord, if anything worthwhile is going to happen, it's going to begin with you. And here I offer you my body, and I offer these moments of quiet. And I found that to be a, a hugely enriching way of doing prayer uh, in this time. So maybe for some, that's, that's what the next phase is going to look a bit like. But I wonder, just drawing this together, whether there is a connection between humility and prayer and God's power. Uh, made perfect, as Paul says, through weakness. Just yesterday, Bishop Graham Tomlin uh, was writing in the Times, and he said this, A lot has been written about the ban on public worship that came into force this week. Much of the critical response has been to stress the benefits of prayer for mental health, for peace of mind and well-being and for inspiration for volunteering, all of which is true. There is, however, another reason why stopping public gatherings for prayer and worship 
might be a bad idea. Amen. Because allowing them to continue might just change things for the better. When it comes to, when it, comes to it, that's what we believe as Christians, isn't it? Mm. We believe that the story of Jesus meeting with this boy changed the boy's life. Didn't just sort of give the boy a, a sense of well-being while the demon hung around. It changed the boy's life because the boy's situation was manifestly altered. When it comes to prayer, we believe that this posture of humility, which is prayer, dependence, which is prayer, is to lead to transformation and power made manifest in our lives. And, and what we're calling uh, you to is to join in this month with what the archbishops have written about in a letter just this week. Some of you will have seen that. What Bishop Graham, what our own bishop, Bishop Paul has been speaking about, which is to spend this month of lockdown in prayer. We have an opportunity to grow in prayer, in devotion, in this month like, like never before and like never again. I realize this lockdown is not quite like the last one, but this is still a profound opportunity to practice prayer, to step into prayer. And the church across the nation, because the archbishops have called the church, not just the Church of England, but other churches, are together coming into a moment where we recognize the centrality and the necessity of prayer in this moment. Prayer which is a connection with Jesus in every moment, but prayer which also has its desire to see transformation. That's what we're praying. So we're calling you to a few things. And the first is to pause to pray. You might want to write these things down. We're going to have them on an email and uh, social media in the coming uh, hours. But firstly, to pause to pray. The archbishops have called the church to pause every day at 6 p.m. I'd love you to set an alarm. Alongside your midday alarm, which you probably already got set, to pause to pray. Simply to pray for somebody that you know who is in need. Pray for this situation particularly. Pray for a vaccine. Pray for people. Pray for nations. Pray for whatever. Just pause every day at six and pray. If that's dinner time for you with your family, your children, a friend, somebody you live with, take that moment. Pause to pray in that moment. We're going to be opening up with this theme of pausing to pray. We're going to be opening up this building for private prayer on Thursdays and on Sundays, and you can sign up for that. Because we want to create space to pause to pray. You can do that in your own house. You don't have to just do it at 6 p.m. You can do it anytime. But pause to pray. That's the first thing. The second thing is we want to call you to grow in hunger. Grow in hunger. And we know no better way of doing that than to pray. And alongside prayer to fast. And fasting, we know of different ways of fasting. Some people fast from social media and so on. The primary way... When the Bible talks about fasting, it's talking about fasting from food. And I just, we're just going to set, set apart Thursday, over lockdown, Thursdays is a day for fasting. You might want to fast a meal. You might want to fast for a 24-hour period. Or, or just that's for you and the Holy Spirit to discern. Maybe you and your hub could talk about this. But we're going to fast and pray on Thursdays. And Thursday begins with a prayer meeting. We have a, we're going to have a, an online, a Zoom-based prayer meeting. I think 7.30 to 8 a.m. on Thursday morning. So that could be a great way to kickstart Thursday prayer and fasting with that. Thirdly, so we've got pause to pray, grow in hunger. Number three, pound the pavement. I love this one. I came up with that myself. Felt really good about it. Uh, I want to encourage you to do a weekly, you might want to do it daily, but a weekly prayer walk. 
I just did, did this just the other day. I got my earphones in, got the worship music blazing late at night. So as I was crying, walking the streets around my area, no one could see. Just praising God. And I was coming down uh, between one road and another, just turning a corner and the blessing came on. And I just started to pray and to sing that song over our city. It was actually on a really high point in the city. I could see over the city. And for the first time, I understood that song wasn't about me. <laughs> Funny, that, that song was actually about my city. I began to pray that and praise that over our city, blessing that the children of this city would be blessed. And it was an amazing moment. I want to encourage you to do that. Take a piece of chalk with you. Graffiti the streets with prayers. Go on, see if you can get in trouble. Praying. This, you see if you can cause some problems, a social disturbance, a socially distant social disturbance through prayer. See if you can do it. I will... Uh, be grateful to God if you can. Take some chalk with you. Go and make a holy mess. And then fourthly, we're going to do virtual 24-7 prayer in the last week of Advent. And we're going to call us, uh, we're going to call us to a week of continual prayer, 24 hours a day for seven days. And with that, uh, there'll be a rhythm of fasting as well, which we'll uh, lean into nearer the time. So those are the things. Pause to pray, grow in hunger, pound the pavement, and get ready for 27 prayer.